Well, good morning, and I am glad that you have come to class. I wouldn't like to teach myself this morning. We're glad that you're here. Thank you for coming, and we're going to have a good and exciting morning together. Before we pray, I thought I would tell you a little bit about where we're going in the evening meetings and kind of give you a resume of what is happening there and then go into our class periods for today. The background of our evening meetings is this. When this health seminar was planned, Katia Reinhardt, who's in charge of it from the perspective of the North American Division, called me and she said, Pastor Finley, we're thinking of doing something different this year. We have never done it before. We're thinking about reaching out to the community. Would you be interested in helping us? And I said, if you will allow me to plan the evening program in harmony with Florida Hospital, I would. One of my great goals was to include Florida Hospital in a outreach program in the evening. Florida Hospital is already doing Creation Health. Creation Health has become quite popular in this community. Let me give you some examples. The largest church in this community is a church called the North Lake Church. They probably have 4,000 members. They're not a Seventh-day Adventist church. More than that, they probably have 6,000. Not an Adventist church, deeply interested in health, when they learned that Florida Hospital was doing Creation Health, they asked if they could do it in their church, and they have been. This coming week, uh, Michelle Obama, the president's wife, is coming to speak at North Lake Church because it's such a prominent and popular church in the community. Um, the sheriff's department <laughs> wanted to do Creation Health for all of their um, officers, and they are beginning to incorporate it. One of the school systems here with scores of schools came to Florida Hospital and they said, look, we'd like to do Creation Health for our children in the entire public school system. The Florida Hospital said to them, well, this is a Christian program. They said, that's not a problem for us. We understand that, but the principles are so valuable, we want to incorporate them in the school system. So the Creation Health model is really, really growing. There have been a number of pastors that have said, look, we like the creation health model, but we want something that's more overtly biblical so we can preach to our people on Sabbath, on Sabbath or Sunday morning. And so we have felt as a church that the more people that use our materials, particularly in the area of health, the more these people become sensitized and prepared for the proclamation of the gospel. So that is the model that we've been following. So in the evening, we have, I can't tell you the exact numbers, but there have been at least a hundred, oh, at least 200 non-Adventists that have walked through the doors on, on, in the evenings. Um, I was looking over the cards the other night, and again, because I don't know the Adventists in the area, I can't be 100% sure, but on some nights you'll have 100 non-Adventists there, some nights you'll have 150, some nights you may have 75, so there's, it, it varies. Um, I would expect that we'll have even more tonight. The interesting thing is that we used an 800 number for AIM, and, uh, which is our Adventist information ministry at Andrews University where people can call and register for meetings. And every day this week, even up until yesterday, people were calling interested in inquiring about the meetings. Now the creation health model, of course, starts with choice with the C and then goes to R with rest and then environment, then activity. Trust is in the center, so you speak on spiritual things. Um, then tonight is interpersonal relationships. Tomorrow morning is outlook. 
and then nutrition. Some of the disadvantages that we've had, there have been three major disadvantages here. One is we are far from the Adventist center. Had we been in Orlando, our attendance would have been much, much higher. And I urged that early on, but the folk felt, and probably rightly so, that it would be hard to bus the Health Summit people to the uh, Orlando, to central Orlando, and because we wanted to model something for non-Adventists for a Health Summit people, it would have been really logistically difficult to do that, and I understood that, of course. But that has limited the Adventist attendance from the community, because when you figure that they have to fight the traffic to get home after working from at, getting off at 5 or 5.30, they get home at 6, 6.30, and we start at 7 to get back here, which is not in the center of the city or where the Adventists live, would be very difficult for them. So that has, that has not helped us from a large crowd standpoint. The second thing that's been difficult is, and I tell you this just so that as you're planning your programs, you will be able to do it uh, as the most effective possible. We would never run seven nights in a row. It exhausts people, it's too many. And the only reason I do that here is because that's the seven nights of the health seminar, seminar and we wanted to model that. We typically will do two nights a week if we're doing a health program maximum. I don't like to do one because you can't get the momentum up, but I like to do two. So we'd probably do a, a, a Tuesday and a Thursday night, a Monday and a Wednesday night if we were doing this in the way that we really uh, would plan to do it. We would do it for four weeks rather than do it for one week. There are eight presentations. We do it over a four-week period. The value of that is you loosen up the schedule. People are much more able to come rather than for the eight nights. Another advantage of it is you can get to know people. Um, it's hard for me even now because they come every night and there's no possibility for interaction whereby if they were coming two nights a week, they would be willing to stay a little bit more after the program. You could have much more dialogue with them. I've been amazed at how the people have come out and I was shocked with last night. It was really good because we had no meeting scheduled for last night. I mean, we just told the people that we were gonna have the meeting because of that band thing on Saturday night. I would expect we'll be basically full tonight and full tomorrow morning. Tomorrow night, because most of the people came Thursday night and it's a repeat presentation, we'll make a much smaller room. But if you're doing it in a local church, twice a week is really nice and you carry them on for, for four weeks. Um, if we were doing it in a local church, depending on the size of the audience, we like to serve food samples as well. So Tini would always prepare food samples and we have them after the meeting. We tell the people that this is not our normal thing to eat late at night, but we do serve light food samples and that gives us an opportunity to interact with the people when they're eating the food samples. We had been conducting a nutrition series and Tini served food samples and so at the end of the meeting I was going around and I was saying to people, how would you like me to give you a guided tour of your plate? And uh, I was teasing them a little bit and I was telling them what this vegetarian protein was and that vegetarian protein was. And as I did that, a young lady looked up at me, her name was Joanne, and she said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. She said, why are you doing this? And I said, what do you mean? And she said, you must have some motive. Why are you doing this? And I said, well, we're really doing this for a couple reasons. One is we're interested in the community and we want you to have good health. We really believe that the principles we're sharing help people have better health. So that's the first reason. But secondly, we believe people are physically, mentally, and spiritually uh, a unit. 
And uh, we, we believe that if we can help your physical and mental health, that we can also share with you principles of spiritual health. So if you ask me, do we have a motive? One of her motives is to help people in every way possible. And she said, you know, I've been looking for something that integrates physical, mental, spiritual health. Can we talk? And I said, sure. So we did. We spent a little time talking. And she told me that her husband was a high school teacher and that he was an atheist. He didn't believe in God at all. She wondered about participating in some Bible studies but knew her husband would have no interest. I had a fascinating experience with my church board. Met with the church board and it was one of these small churches where people would argue or debate about anything. Somebody had put in the offering, and you're not going to believe this, but somebody had put in the offering $5 in an offering envelope and didn't mark it. And so the elder was arguing with the head deacon of how they were going to spend the $5 that somebody put in the offering and they didn't mark it. And they were debating back and forth. Finally, they decided to use it to buy a subscription of, for Signs of the Times for somebody in the community. I suggested that they mail to this high school teacher and talk about the providence of God. They mailed to the high school teacher and the first edition he received was a cover edition on creation evolution. He was an ardent atheist believing that intellectually he could not accept creationism. He read that magazine he told his wife, call that pastor. We had met her at the nutrition series, and you see the linkage. She had showed an interest in spiritual things. We sent him Signs of the Times. He read the Creation magazine. I began studying with him, and eventually, he and his wife were baptized. The, his brothers were, and his wife were baptized. His parents were baptized. But it was a contact we made at a cooking school. So what you see happening in the evenings here provides a contact point. It provides an opportunity. Now, how would I use these programs in a local church? How would I use what you're seeing in the evenings in a local church? I would not use it as my initial health approach. As you conduct eight-day weeks to wellness or a depression seminar, a depression recovery seminar, uh, you don't want to hold a depression seminar. As you hold, yeah, right, you're already doing that one. As you hold a depression recovery seminar, as you hold a cooking school, as people come to various health programming, if you invite them to a biblical program, it will be so uh, heavy for them initially. So what we see the evening programs is as a bridge a bridge between what you're typically doing in health and the biblical preaching. And so you, it's a synthesis in which you unite those things. As such, it works very effectively and very powerfully. What will we do here when we're done? Will we say goodbye to the people and um, we hope that you do well? We will do two things. We will say to them, as we give them the book, Imagine a Healthy Hundred, tonight and tomorrow night, we will say the Florida Hospital has ongoing health classes in the community. If you're interested in weight management or nutrition series, if you're interested in further health programs, please contact them. Then, and as we give them the Healthy Hundred, they'll have the information they need. Then we will say to them, many of you as you've come, have had a spiritual awakening in your life 
and you'd like to study the Bible more. Now you notice, and it was a little off kilter last night because I presented nutrition, which is the N, just because of the fact that um, we have that band situation and we did that for the taping. But if we were doing it logically, when we come to the end of nutrition, you saw, you saw that I dealt with the physical diet and the spiritual diet. After dealing with the spiritual diet, my message was heavy on the Bible. As the, then I come with the discover lessons and I say to the people, many of you may have not explored God's word before. How many of you would be interested in beginning a process of systematic Bible study? At that point, we give out the discover lessons because now we've bridged them all the way into the biblical and they begin doing the Discover Lessons. In this series, I will do that both tonight and tomorrow night, and I will make them available Sabbath morning so that that is a service for people who want to continue to study. If I were doing it in a local church, we would follow them up personally with our lay Bible instructors. In this setting, they will do them by correspondence. So we will not just come to the end of a meeting. We believe that whatever meeting we're in, we're looking for interest for the kingdom of God. Amen. We never hold a meeting which we say, thank you very much for coming, goodbye, hope you do well. You know, you always are doing something to open doors of opportunity for people. Now, do you have any questions about what's happening in the evening, Chris? Okay, okay. If we were doing it in the context of a local church, one of the things you have to be careful about is you don't wear out your people. And so what we would tend to do is try over, and we like to run in three-month sequences. So if we're doing a cooking school, we only do the cooking school one night a week. Um, there are times that we might have two health programs running at the same time, but that's rare. Sometimes we might do a cooking school on a Tuesday night and a stress management on a Thursday night, but that's rare. We would do usually a three-month sequence of health programming, maybe four cooking schools, maybe a weight management program, maybe an eight weeks to wellness, but something along a three-month line, long enough to build up a relationship with people, then come in with this program. So we like to look at the church as the arena of God's grace, the body of Christ, members having gifts as we've gone over in previous classes. And as we do that, we run sequences of about three months. So in the calendar year of the church, we would want our church to know that sometime every fall, we're going to have an evangelistic meeting. Uh, some type of, it doesn't have to be a five week, four nights a week, but some type of evangelistic outreach is going to take place every fall. So the church gets used to that and the mentality. We launch the church year, January, February, March, with a very heavy emphasis on prayer. Our prayer groups continue through the year, but you have to keep at it. You have to keep doing it again and again and again. So early in that year, we're talking about prayer, revival. Toward the spring, we're doing a lot of equipping and training. That doesn't mean there are no community outreach, but it means that's our emphasis. We come through the summer months, which are a little lower, and, um, but we keep something going in the summer, and then we usually have some reaping in the fall. Um, again, what we start in our prayer ministry continues, our training uh, continues, but the church becomes a center of training a center of outreach activity. Okay, any other questions about evening? Yes. Uh, 
It is. It is. And um, I had a meeting yesterday with a folk at Florida Hospital, and I can, it should be available within the next two months. And um, what will happen is this. There will be the graphics you see in the evening will be available, and I'm just refining the sermons just a little bit. But the graphics will be available, the advertising material will be available, the sermons will be available, as well as the DVDs for small groups. So, now, the DVDs, which are two hours, well, not, they're not two hours, they're an hour and 45 minutes. The DVDs will be able to be taken. You can factor out Mrs. Finley's cooking one. And uh, she, every night she does 25 minutes. We put a wraparound around it because a half an hour television program is 28 minutes and 30 seconds. So you, you can, she, that can be used independently. The testimonies can be used independently, and we'll build some things around them. And then my sermons are running between 46 and 49 minutes. And, uh, and so we're going to build, with the music, we're going to build something around that will make an hour television program. So, but they will be available, yes, and they'll be advertised pretty broadly. I don't know what costs will be because I don't control that at all. But sure. Uh huh. Sure, that's a great idea. You can do it in small groups. You can loan them on DVDs. Yeah, and you know, you can, I mean, if you had eight or 10 or 12 of these groups and then you brought them to the church after that, that would work effectively. Any other questions? Okay, yeah, yes, ma'am. Uh huh. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Fantastic. That is great. That is good. You see, now that, what you've just told me, I, I think is a great illustration. You have soul winning eyes. You know, that's what Jesus anointed your eyes with soul winning eyes. And so you saw these ladies. You could have gone and sat with your friends, but you said, no, I'm going to go sit with these ladies to kind of nurture them, to encourage them, to develop them by name. And so you've bonded with them. Oh, to God that I had a hundred church members like that. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, there is. Um, you can go on the Creation Health site at the Florida Hospital. I think it's just www.creationhealth.org. The Creation Health site at the Florida Hospital will have those materials available. Chris? Okay. Great, great, great. Yeah, go when you come out. Yeah, you may want to slip out, see what you can find out there. If you get 25 of them, you can pilfer them and bring them in. They'll be more than happy. Okay, let's see. Yeah, here we go. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, the f okay, Chris will go out and get these. This is the creation health material that's currently available, and our material will be in this catalog. There is a Creation Health Seminar. See, this seminar, Florida Hospital asked me to do this because they already were doing Creation Health, but they weren't incorporating the sermons and the spiritual in it nearly as much. So they have all this material already on Creation Health. 
that you can run in the community for your people. And my material becomes the spiritual bridge after that. Chris is going to come out and try to see if he can get us some of these magazines. Okay? Yes. Oh, great. Is there any Um, currently, there is not because they're coming seven nights a week. Okay. So, but we will begin a follow-up program after that. Um, if some of you would like these catalogs that tell about creation health, uh, Chris is getting them. This is Chris's, so I need to give this back to Debbie. Okay, thank you, thank you. Okay, we have another one over here. You can pass along, okay. Uh, and Chris, we'll see if we can get some more. Uh, so this enables you to at least have a contact point for the creation health material after class. Let's pr yes, take some more questions. There really isn't. That lecture that I gave the other time, the only material I have is the material that I presented. I have not written that one out yet. Now, the lectures you're seeing in the evenings, they are written out. Um, and you will get the graphic and then what is said on that graphic and when the graphic comes up. And you can, certain, you can certainly um, make it very practical. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. That would help you a lot. Thank you very much, Chris. I appreciate that. Yes. Yes. Uh huh. Yes. Yes. Finley, yeah. That's amazing. So changes are taking place in people's lives. That's exciting. Well, we're going to pray and then enter our class today. And so let's pray. Father, thank you for this class. We've been together all week and we've enjoyed one another. We've had marvelous fellowship together. And I pray thee that you would guide us in our class today, give us a broader vision, help us to see the essence of health evangelism and what health evangelism is all about. Teach us to meet the needs of people, physically, mentally, spiritually. Teach us to have the ministry of Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. amen. It was the night of February 27, 1910. Ellen White went to sleep that night as she would have on any other evening. But during the night, she was awakened by the angel, and the angel visitor presented with her a vision. As you look down through the history of the Adventist church, various visions set the chart, set the direction of the church. We can think back to the great controversy vision in Lovett's Grove, Ohio in the 1860s, 1863. We can think of the great health reform vision of 1865. We can think of the education visions of the 1890s that Adventists should start schools and hospitals. But this vision was different. During that night, she was awakened and 
the Lord spoke to her, and in prophetic vision, she saw the neglected cities. And let me read you a portion of that vision, which is quite significant as we actually um, look at it. She wrote it out later it, it, as a confidential letter to conference presidents. Since that time, of course, it's been published, but initially the letter was sent to conference presidents, and she says, during the night of February 27, 1910, a representation was given me in which the unworked cities were presented before me as a living reality. So that night as she went to sleep, she saw the cities. She saw tens of thousands in the cities. She saw cities like New York and Boston and Chicago and Los Angeles and Dallas. And she saw these people just thronging in the streets of the cities and she saw that they were lost. And then she makes this statement, and I was plainly instructed, interesting, I was plainly instructed that there should be a decided change from past methods of working. So Ellen White goes to sleep February 27, 1910. And she said, the Lord came to me that night and he said to me, there should be a decided change in past methods of working. Now it's one thing to have a living prophet in your midst. So the church has this living prophet. And this vision is written out, sent out to conference presidents. How does the church respond to Ellen White's vision? Where the Lord tells her, I saw the neglected cities as a living reality, and I was shown there should be a decided change. What was that change? She then describes it. I saw that we should send teams of workers into the cities, that we should minister to the poor and the disadvantaged, that we should conduct health programming, that there should be nurses and physicians. So she describes what later would be known as medical missionary work in the cities. She describes ministering and caring ministry and caring for the health of people and so forth. How does the church respond? When church leadership received that letter and conference presidents received it, they said, we have to do something. And so they did. They came to Loma Linda and they laid a great burden on the heart of Elder Burden. Elder Burden was the business manager. Roderick Owen was the Bible teacher. Ellen White said Roderick Owen was one of the best Bible teachers we ever had up until that time. So church leadership came to the business manager of Loma Linda and they came to Roderick Owen and they said, Ellen White has just had this vision. The prophet of God has had this vision. Decided change should take place. We want you to look at your university and choose one of your top ministerial medical students to begin to develop a medical missionary approach to reach the cities of America. So the faculty thought it over and they said, we know the man, John Tyndall. Tyndall had been an attorney, sharp mind, clarity of thinking process. If you have ever been with Elder Tyndall, and I had the privilege of knowing him, I preached his funeral sermon, uh, part of it anyway, with another pastor and I preached it together. Brilliant man, he had been an attorney, and if you sit in his presence as a young preacher, he would quiz me on the Bible, and I knew I had been quizzed. <laughs> he would often say to me, I remember the first time he read for me Matthew 24, 
and he read all the signs and he came down and then you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet and he said what's the abomination of desolation spoken about Daniel the prophet I gave him some weak answer and he said go back and study it more and come back tomorrow and tell me what it is <laughs> you know so Elder Burden 1910 early 1900s came to John Tyndall and they said Ellen White has had a vision we want you to demonstrate it so Tyndall Tyndall's wife was not an Adventist. He had been an attorney. He became a Seventh-day Adventist. And the way he became an Adventist was fascinating. He was out in the gold fields of California. And at that time, there had been the great gold rush. And Tyndall was out there on behalf of the government surveying those gold fields. And one night, there was an old prospector that had a copy of Desire of Ages. And he was sitting around the campfire reading Desire of Ages out loud. And he came to the chapter on Calvary. And Tyndall heard him read that. And Tyndall went out by the sagebrush and knelt down and said, Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I want to give my life to you. And so Tyndall became an Adventist. He then came to Loma Linda, enrolled in the medical evangelism course. It was then that Ellen White had the vision and Roderick Owen and um, Burden came to Tyndall. Tyndall began a ministry that was unique in the Adventist church of about 40 years. In that ministry, he launched largely our work in Indianapolis, in Dallas, in Tulsa, in Oklahoma City, in Ogden, Utah. Tyndall was preaching in Oklahoma City when Billy Sunday was preaching there. Billy Sunday was one of the great evangelists of another generation. And the headlines in the newspaper were, Mr. Sunday got the crowds, but Mr. Sabbath, Mr. Saturday got the converts. And then the article showed a picture in the paper, and I've seen it. Seven Seventh-day Adventist ministers baptized 77 converts, seven at a time. Sunday got the crowds, but Tyndall got the converts. What kind of ministry did John Tyndall run? What kind of ministry did he conduct? As Tyndall would go into a city, he would usually stay there for six to nine months. Six to nine months. He did not conduct many evangelistic meetings. As he ran those meetings, he usually would preach biblical sermons on a Sunday and Wednesday night health sermons on a Tuesday night, health treatments on a Thursday night, so he integrated. Tyndall had large evangelistic teams. He would have 15 to 25 people on his team. He had Bible workers on his team. He had health workers on his team. He had nutritionists on his team. They would go into the police department, and Tyndall would lecture to the police departments on how a better diet and a better exercise program will prepare you to be a better police officer. He would lecture to the firemen in the community. He became the household name in that community. He would lecture in the schools to kids, large assemblies. He was a fascinating lecturer. And he would lecture on the relationship of diet and mental health and the mind. Um, pretty soon, people would be coming to his meetings because as he went, he would say, now, um, we have nurses in this city. And the nurses would go out and they would hold free clinics and the poor and the impoverished would come to these free clinics. One time, Elder Tyndall was in Indianapolis. He baptized 140 in Indianapolis. He baptized 140 to 145 in um, Milwaukee. 
He raised up churches. When he was in Indianapolis one night, he noticed that a very well-dressed man would come in just before he began to preach and sit in the back of the meeting. After the, he preached, before the closing song, this man would get up and leave. One of his team came to him one day and he said, do you know that the richest man in this city is coming to your meetings? Do you know that? Tyndall said, I know that. He said, well, why don't I try to set up an appointment? So after one of the meetings, Tyndall talked with this man. And the man had owned a large furniture factory in the city. And the man said, you know, I'm impressed. You're not like any evangelist I've ever seen before in this city. Your nurses have come in and ministered to people. You've taught us how to have a better diet. You've helped us with our stresses and anxieties. You've helped us with our blood pressure. You're a different kind of a preacher. And your messages are straight from the Bible. I'd love you to come and preach in my church. I have the largest Baptist church in the city I'm a member of. And Tyndall was a very wise man. He said, um, you better get permission from your pastor. Oh, it'll be no problem, no problem. Well, would you like to meet my pastor? Sure. So um, they set up a meeting, and so this wealthy businessman had, had Tyndall meet the pastor in his corporate boardroom. As they met, the pastor knew Tyndall was an Adventist, and he looked up and he said, you're a Seventh-day Adventist, aren't you? And Elder Tyndall said, uh, yes, I am, very kindly. And the man said, I'm not under the old law. Tyndall said, may I read you just one Bible passage, sir? <laughs> I'm not under the old law. For the carnal heart is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. <laughs> That's all Tyndall read. You know, he was an attorney. <laughs> for the carnal heart is not subject to the law of God. The guy went into a tirade, Tyndall said. He just, he banged the table, he got up and left. Tausch was totally embarrassed. And he said, I don't know why my pastor acted that way. As Tausch continued to come to the meetings, Mr. Tausch, the owner of this great factory, Elder Tyndall preached on the Sabbath. And Tausch said, I can never keep the Sabbath. And he was talking to Elder Tyndall, and they were standing in the parking lot of his factory. And Tausch said, look, you see that factory? Every day, trains come, and they take furniture out of this factory every single day, seven days a week. I could never shut my factory on Sabbath. Tyndall looked at him in the eye, and he said, Mr. Tausch, I only have one question. What's more important, your business or your soul? When you figure that out, call me, and he walked away. Tyndall said he got halfway across the parking lot and Tausch yelled at him, Pastor, come back, my soul's more important. <laughs> Tyndall came back and Tausch was baptized. Anybody here ever go to Southern Adventist University? What's the name of the men's dormitory? Tausch Hall, why? Why, why is Southern Adventist University's men's dormitory called Tausch Hall? Yeah, because Southern was going through a crisis and they needed some money and Tausch, Tyndall's convert, financed Tausch Hall out of Minneapolis. He was a medical evangelism convert. One night, <coughs> Elder Tyndall was describing the ministry of Jesus and how every church should be a medical missionary center, how churches should reach out to their communities. Mrs. Tausch was sitting in the audience. When the offering plate was passed, she reached up, pulled off her diamond earrings, pulled off her diamond necklace, dropped them in the offering plate. 
and they sold them and used them to build a wing on the church that became a medical missionary center. When Tausch went to, that was in Indianapolis, Tausch started, I mean, that, Elder Tyndall started our work there. When Elder Tyndall went to Dallas, our work was extremely weak in Dallas. Now, the interesting thing about Elder Tyndall's work is because it was medical missionary work, it was very cross-cultural. Tyndall had the ability, and he was not, you know, you have to understand, this was 1910, 1920, 1930, 1940. These were areas where racial equality was not what it is today. We hadn't gone through the civil rights movement in 1965 and the 60s in, in America as we have now. And so Tyndall's ministry, though, and, and was very cross-cultural. And that's what happens with medical missionary work, because disease is no respecter of persons. Disease is no respecter of persons. High blood pressure, heart disease, cancer. That doesn't say, that doesn't say oh, okay, you're a particular you, so I'm not going to touch you. You see, no, it touches all of us, right? Yeah. So when you do medical missionary work, it becomes incredibly cross-cultural. The other thing about medical missionary work is it bridges age generations. When you get interested in health and you get exercise things going, you get some sport things going for kids and other things, it, it touches teenagers, it touches people in their 20s, it touches the rich and the poor. So medical missionary work bridges the racial divide it bridges the ethnic divide, it bridges the language divide, it bridges the age divide, and it bridges the gender gap. So medical missionary work is very embracing. It brings people together. So Elder Tindo goes to Dallas. We have one little small struggling church there. At the end of a year, Tindo baptizes 128, raises over $100,000 for a new church, builds a new church. One night, Tyndall went to sleep. He had a dream. And in his dream, he dreamed that he was fishing. And he caught a big fish. The next night, he and his team were conducting a nutrition series. And a 300-pound man walked in. <laughs> and immediately, Tyndall thought, that man is the big fish. He's the one who Lord talked to me about in the dream, this guy. Guy was a meat packer but he was interested in vegetarianism. So he came in and Tyndall shared the principles of God in nutrition. And then he talked about the bread of life. Every nutrition class we conduct, every health class we conduct, we talk about deeper spiritual values. When Tini is making bread in a nutrition class, often we'll do, when we do the full nutrition class, it's about an hour and a half to two hours. And uh, we typically do it five nights a week. I mean five nights, one night a week. I am leaving here and uh, on Sunday morning, I'll go home for five days, then I'll spend seven weeks in Mobile, Alabama. In the Southern Union of Seventh-day Adventists, the Southern Union is our largest union. We have probably 200 and I'll guess 30 or 40,000 members in the Southern, maybe 250 or 60 now. I hadn't looked at statistics in a while, but it's certainly um, Ivan, it's probably 250,000 or something in the Southern Union, thereabouts. What do you, is that about right, brother? Yeah, it's the largest union in the uh, North American division. But of that large union, Mobile, Alabama is the city where we have the fewest number of Seventh-day Adventists. When you look at the major cities in the Southern Union, Mobile is a tough city. 
the largest Caucasian church in the city is the um, Cody Road Church. And if they have 180 in attendance on Sabbath morning, that's a lot. The largest African-American church in that, the entire city of five to 600,000 is approximately an attendance of 200 to 210 on Sabbath morning. We have no Hispanic churches in that city. We have in the city of 700,000, max five to six churches. So our Adventist base is incredibly weak. Tini and I have committed to spend, we, we've spent over a year in that city. When we went into the city, and this is a principle of life that we operate on, it's a non-negotiable principle for us. And I've become more, um, more vocal about it in recent years. The older you get, the more vocal you can become. <laughs> I never will go into a city unless every church in every conference agrees to participate. I don't go and work for one conference in a city or two. I don't believe in the division and the walls that we artificially create between conferences when you do evangelism. I think they have value and worth uh, for structure. But I think when you do evangelism, you sweep away all of that. And you say, we all work together. So if I got Hispanic churches in a city, or Korean churches in a city, or African-American churches in a city, or Caucasian churches, our philosophy is you throw out the net. So when we work in multi-city campaigns, we invite every pastor. We start a year ahead of time with our pastors' meetings and the pastors' meet and so forth. So we have all of our churches participating. Let me tell you the strategy that we followed in Mobile, how that relates to both health evangelism and long-term evangelism. We started working there a year to a year and a half ago with our seven or eight churches. We held joint rallies together where we invited them to come. We made appeals for people to be actively involved in prayer and commitment to Christ. We began prayer bands. My wife then went down and she spent weeks uh, working on a training program uh, for lay Bible instructors. We, she trained a, a hundred lay Bible instructors that would form teams of 50. They have probably 80 to 100 Bible studies going now. Each lay Bible instructor, our goal is to give them one or two Bible studies. So they have begun working actively in that Bible study ministry in Mobile. Then we began 14 seminars in the city of Mobile. That may not seem like a lot, but in Mobile it's a lot. We have 100, 150 non-Adventists attending those. We are now launching a comprehensive health program. We like to run our health programs in the church. We're starting a week from this Monday. We start our health program outreach in the local church. Um, we have a ministry now where we're reaching out to young people and a ministry that we're reaching out to former Adventists. And um, we will start our health ministry outreach a week from Monday. We start that in the church. How will we advertise that? The way that's being advertised is as follows. We're doing some inserts in a newspaper, doing some full-page advertising in the newspaper as well. So we anticipate we'll have a couple hundred people coming out to the nutrition series, maybe a hundred non-Adventists coming to that. We then run a special uh, approach on Bible lands. What I've found in the United States is that I can get large groups out for my Bible lands program. It's an archaeological program. We have a brochure with King Tut on the cover. And um, when we were in recently, uh, a few years ago, in fact, we ran a series uh, in Denver, Colorado, and we pulled 700 people to the Denver church, 400 not Adventist to an Adventist church using the archeological approach. Um, we have 
um, it's more of a Bible lands archaeological approach that um, we take them on tours, and so we'll we'll do that. Um, I think we did. Did we do archaeology in Hinsdale? We didn't. We didn't. We ran a large program in Hinsdale, um, in the Hinsdale churches. And Patty, you came over and did a cooking school for us over there before, and that was that was really good. We did a lot of things. We did Daniel. We did Bible studies and so forth. We've used our Adventist churches quite effectively. The meetings in Hinsdale were conducted in 2010. We ran, I think, if I remember correctly, what do we have for non-Adventists coming to the Hinsdale church, Chris? I think we ran... Yeah, yeah, I think we had four or five hundred non-Adventists coming out to the Hinsdale church and the North Shore church, two or three hundred non-Adventists. So we, we had about eight hundred non-Adventists coming out to different meetings, had very good baptisms there. I think we baptized, I know in our series, at least before I left, I think it was 65 and one is 65 and the other was about 130 non-Adventists and they continue to baptize people. Some wonderful, wonderful people. Some of the young people that we baptized are now at Andrews University, at least one young man is studying for ministry. and. We have, uh, it, was, it was a good series. But here's where our philosophy is. You, can, you reach out in every possible way to develop interest for people. And health ministry becomes the basis of that. That's exactly where, what this, remember Ellen White said, I saw that there should be a decided change in past methods of working. What is the decided change? It's rather than an evangelist coming into a city and holding a major evangelistic meeting alone, it is the equipping and training of membership to reach out in multifaceted ways to develop interests. Because that's not only the pathway for success, but it's the pathway of spiritual growth for membership. Because the more actively involved you become with, in service for Christ, the more actively involved you become, the more you grow spiritually. When you look at the New Testament, you do not find a difference in Jesus' ministry be between healing healing the mind and healing the soul. One of the things that I have felt quite strongly that Seventh-day Adventists have not pursued adequately is our caution in being too overtly spiritual in our health programs. I think that caution has hurt us. If you conduct a program to help people quit smoking and you do not introduce the spiritual, in my mind it's a tragic mistake. If you conduct a cooking school and you're not Gently. Now, I do not believe some of my colleagues say, oh, we have, a little we have our cooking school in the church and we have a little devotional before and then we have the cooking school. I think that's a mistake. It's far better to let spirituality come out naturally. Like, for example, Tini's making bread and I'm standing next to her and we're dialoguing a little bit about the bread and we're talking about vitamin B complex in the bread. And then I make a, make a statement like this. I might say, you know, Tini, um, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. And as good as your bread is, there's a deeper satisfaction that comes from knowing God. And then I just move on with the scientific. So you just keep what we call throwing out the bait, throwing out the bait. And you see, and then we train members who during the food eating time know the right questions to ask people. How are you folk enjoying our nutrition class today? Is this something that, have you ever attended a vegetarian class like this before? And so they're talking to these people. And, um, you know, what motivated you? What, what brought you here? Oh, I have an Adventist friend. Bingo. You know, have you ever talked very much about spiritual values with that Adventist friend? You see. Did you notice the other night that when Mrs. Finley was talking about homemade bread, Pastor Finley talked about the bread of life. I thought that was real fascinating. What did you think about that? The team that we train, who are hosts and hostesses, who greet the people when they're eating, 
understand how to ask the right spiritual questions so that those people are become spiritually opened. As we explained to you, at the end of every nutrition class, we do two things. First, we pass out a sheet that says, yours for the asking. And the yours for the asking sheet allows a person to check, I've come to a nutrition class, I want to go to weight control, check. It'll be such and such a date. We always list the dates. Um, I want to come to a stress management, such and such a date. Then they would say, I would like to study the Bible more and have a personal series of Bible studies that are life-changing. Check it. Then one of our Bible workers will visit them. Um, I would like to attend a once-a-week series on Bible prophecy. Check it. We then invite them to our Daniel prophecy. So we do two things to incur spiritual interest after a health program. That's one of them. Pass out the sheet yours for the asking. Here's the second one. Whenever the health sequence ends, whenever the health sequence ends, we then will have a, when I say health sequence, we might have been doing stress, we might have been doing nutrition, we might have been doing eight weeks to wellness, to depression. Whenever that ends, we always will have something biblical. Something that immediately follows that starts within the next week, biblical. And we will do this with our nutrition series in Mobile. We'll end it, and then we will go right into a weekly evangelistic meeting. In Mobile, we run on a Monday night, the cooking school, and a Tuesday night, the archaeology series, so I can bridge there too which is a little less abrasive in the bridge than bringing them out four or five nights a week. But when we end a cooking school, we'll do something like this. I'll say, how many of you enjoyed the class tonight? They raise their hands. Did you enjoy that food? I'll tell you, we just ended with desserts. That stuff was absolutely delicious. And uh, did you enjoy that uh, carrot pie and uh, the carob cake? And uh, some of you got a little taste of the ice cream. I hope it didn't melt too much. But uh, as you've come through the class, we've talked about bread. We've talked about the meal balancing and planning. We've talked about protein without meat. And, uh, you know, if you follow those principles, I think you're already looking better, but if you follow those principles, you're going to live 10 to 11 years longer. But, you know, let's suppose when you left tonight, you leave with my wife's cookbook, you leave with all that knowledge of good food, and let's suppose I stood at the door and gave every single one of you a $100 bill, a crisp $100 bill, and you're leaving and... I'm just putting a $100 bill in every one of your hands. And you're on your way home, and you're saying, man, that was fantastic. That woman taught us all that food. We got that cookbook. And that guy gave us a $100 bill. Then tomorrow morning, you wake up, and you learned that I just inherited today the Rockefeller fortune, and I'm worth $250 billion. You look at your wife. Now, don't hold your breath. I didn't inherit the Rockefeller fortune. <laughs> But that next morning, you look at your wife and you say, that guy was cheap. He was so cheap. All he gave us was a measly $100 bill, and today he got $250 billion. You know, that's kind of the way I feel. We've helped you to learn to live eight or ten years longer. I've wanted to say a lot more to you, but this was a health class, and I wanted to respect each of you, and I'd love to tell you how to live a million years longer, a trillion years longer. We've shared some spiritual principles, but there's so much more. And I've got a little brochure. We're going to pass it out right now, and there's a special reserve seat ticket. And uh, if you would like to attend, I'm going to be lecturing down at the Mobile Civic Center. And we're going to talk about this world and the fact that the world is falling apart. And we're going to talk about how to have peace of mind. We're going to talk about how to have a solid family in the world that we live in. We're going to talk about 
how this world is falling apart, but you can have hope and you can have security. If you'd like it, I just uh, would encourage you to sign the bottom of this ticket and you just rip it off, give it to one of the hostesses here. You keep the top part of the ticket. When you come in on opening night, you show that and you'll have a reserved seat. Here is where I think God gave us an idea years ago. After I had done evangelism for 15 years or 20 years, every night on opening night, I was anxious. Not that I didn't put it in God's hands, but I was anxious. I would be looking out the window at that parking lot. Any cars coming in, you know, you'd be, what is my advertising going to do? And soon I came to realize that we could not do that any longer. So my wife and I had an agreement. She would fill the first session with pre-registrations, and I would go after the second session with advertising. So we, we do everything we can to get as many pre-registrations as possible. And it's often, on the average, we will have 500 to 800 pre-registrations before the meeting starts. That's in North America, on the average. We have 500 to 800. Because here's the thing. If I've got 50 Bible workers out there, and each one of those bring two people, that's 100. If we can get another 50 from the cooking school, that's 150. If we get another... 50 to 100 from archaeology, that's 200 to 250. If I get another 50 to 100 from Daniel, that's 350. If church members can bring people, so for the last two to three weeks before the meetings, we're talking about pre-registration, pre-registration, pre-registration. We want to pre-register as many people as possible. Now, everybody that pre-registers from our health programs or anything else, three to four days before the meeting, we send them a pre-registration letter. We have your reserve seat. We'll save it till 725. And then we, uh, after 725, the meeting starts 730. After 725, the seats uh, go to the general. But let's suppose I have 600, 500 pre-registrations. If you're in a local church, you can do this. And once you start doing it, it's amazing how your people get into it. Now, you won't have those kind of numbers because you're working in small churches. But even if you have a small church of 75 people and you can pre-register 50, that's a lot more than the three you've been getting out to your meetings before. You know, I mean, that's a lot more than the... So pre-registration and, and learning how to do that and running seminars. See, every seminar we run has a purpose. I don't run health seminars simply to make people healthy sinners so that they live 10 years longer to burn longer in the lake of fire. You know, that's not the goal. That's not the object. But your object is you're thinking evangelistically. You're thinking evangelistically. Now, I've had some pastors challenge me on this. They say, but pastor, isn't that manipulative? I mean, isn't that, um, isn't that uh, ulterior motive? It is. It is. I want people to be saved. I want them to be in God's kingdom. I'm not interested in just helping people to be free from heart disease and cancer. We want them. And isn't that the ministry of Jesus? Look, let's look at a few passages in the scripture of how Jesus integrated physical, mental, spiritual healing. Here you have it. Uh, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. There are 25, maybe 26, 20 in the mid-20s, miracles of healing in the New Testament. Did you realize that the number was that low? In three and a half years of ministry of Jesus, if you leave out the times that he healed whole villages, okay, if you leave those times out, you have approximately 25 separate miracles of healing. Now, some of them are repeated in more than one gospel. 
Some of them are like might be repeated two times or three times. You have 25 miracles of healing. What does that tell you? It tells me that a miracle is an unusual supernatural spiritual event that does not necessarily occur every day. That which we perceive and understand about Jesus' ministry is often untrue because you only have in three and a half years 25 miracles of healing with separate individuals. You have, now you do have whole towns that are healed, and I, I give you that one. But the concept that Jesus healed everyone that was sick is untrue. In fact, there were times after Jesus had healed multiple people that people were brought to him the next day and he left. He did not heal them. When he was asked why, he said, I've come to preach the gospel, which is fascinating, fascinating stuff. Jesus was interested in physical health because he's interested in people and he wants us to live the best quality of life. But he was interested in physical health as a doorway to the heart and mind to reach men and women with the kingdom. Matthew chapter 9, verse 1. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. And behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Point one, they brought to him. They did what? They did what? Brought to him. Two-thirds of all of the miracles of Christ, somebody brings somebody to Jesus. One-third of the time they come by themselves. They brought to him. Who are you bringing to Jesus? Who are you bringing to Jesus? They brought to him. I love it. They brought to him. A paralytic lying on the bed. Jesus seeing their faith. Faith is not something intellectual. Faith is something you see. Anybody that says, I have faith, and you can't see it, faith is always demonstrable. They brought to him, seeing their faith. Said to the paralytic, son, be of good cheer. Your sins be forgiven you. That's rather strange. Here the man's paralyzed. Here the man's sick. You'd think that Jesus would begin with the physical and heal the man, then say the man to man, your sins will be forgiven you. There were times that Jesus did that. There were times that Jesus healed him, then said, go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven you. But Jesus did not do that this time. He began with the spiritual. And the question becomes, why? Why didn't Jesus just heal the sick man? Why didn't Jesus just deliver the sick man? Why did Jesus forgive him? It's a couple of reasons. One is, could it be that his own sin was the cause of his sickness? And that he had lived a very profligate life, and unless Jesus dealt with the root cause of the sickness, which was inner guilt, condemnation, that the man, even if he were healed, would get sick again. That's a, certainly a possibility. That's why Jesus said, son, be of good cheer. In other words, lift your spirits, lift your encouragement. The, the root cause of this thing, your sins are forgiven you. And at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts, for which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know. Now, this is the key, verse 6, that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. The healing ministry of Jesus was never separated from the spiritual ministry of Christ. Jesus was not a public health expert. Jesus was a health evangelist. And so 
Jesus was not a, he didn't do medical mercenary work. Medical mercenary work cares only to make money off the treatment of disease. Jesus did medical missionary work. There are three characteristics of a medical missionary. First is the motive, second is the method, and the third is the uh, means, the motive. The motive of all true medical missionaries is unselfish, loving, sacrificial service. That's the motive of a medical missionary. They have unloving, selfish, sacrificial service. The methods of the medical missionary are physical, mental, spiritual wholeness, not simply pill-popping. Whatever it takes physically, mentally, or spiritually to help that person well. Um, physically helping them follow the laws of health. If uh, uh, medicine is necessary, they use it, but it's not their primary thing. It's medical missionaries do not neglect the use of scientific technology and medicine, but they recognize that you have to deal with the cause of disease as well as the cure of disease. So the methods of the medical missionary are to look at the cause as well as the cure, not simply to look at the cure. The means that they use are prayer, faith, and uh, as much natural remedies as they possibly can, preventive medicine, the holistic approach to life. But prayer is one of the great means of healing that the medical missionary uses. And so the medical missionary's motives are pure, filled with love. The medical missionary's methods are a complete physical, mental, spiritual healing. And the medical missionary's means are uh, the Bible, prayer, uh, faith, medicine. It's, a, it's an integration of all of that together. Seventh-day Adventists, churches that do health programs without integrating the spiritual are missing a great opportunity. We have been called to prepare a world for the coming of Jesus. We're going to stop there and pray, and then we're going to take a break. What time am I at? 10.04. Okay. We're going to stop and take a brief break for 10 minutes till 10.15, then I want you to come back. My last presentation is I'm going to, I'm going to share with you graphics about the world that we live in. And we're going to share from that world that we live in revival, the finishing of God's work, one of the more powerful presentations that you will see uh, in this entire series. And then I'm going to save some time to have you ask me some questions at the end. Let's pray. Father, we have spent some time this morning noticing the integration of the physical, mental, spiritual dimensions of life. We're going to take a short break to kind of get our minds back together and then come into our major presentation for today on revival of our local congregations, the challenge of a finished work, and your call to accomplish that. We pray thee today that you'd help us be true medical missionaries. May our motives be pure. May we love for love's sake. But may, our, may we not have a distorted, foggy vision of what love is all about. If we love people enough to help them be physically whole, teach us to love them enough to introduce them to Jesus Christ and be spiritually whole. Give us the methods of the true medical missionary. Help us to share physical, mental, and spiritual principles of life. And teach us the value of prayer and faith and Bible study. Teach us to help others to be more like you and to be saved in your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com or 
If you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.